If you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to read verses 13 through 16 of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt hath lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time before we proceed today. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you that you've preserved it uh, through the ages. Uh, that we have it in our own language, uh, that we can read and study and and know your will for our lives through your word. Uh, We thank you that uh, you have given us a place that we can come away from the world for a while and uh, learn together from you and uh, that we can uh, join together and bear one another's burdens and and that we can uh, come to this place and worship you. Uh, We ask now that as we uh, go through the rest of this service and the rest of this day, uh, that you would uh, bless us to be able to get a glimpse of you through your word today and uh, that our fellowship might be centered around you and your word, uh, that you might uh, give us opportunities to be salt and light in the world today. We ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, and This uh, passage comes right after uh, what's known as the Beatitudes there. The, you know, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are they which are persecuted, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the merciful, all of those statements. And then we begin with verse 13 on what we want to look at today. The title of the message is, A Christian's Impact on the World. A Christian's Impact on the World the world. So I'm going to go ahead and warn you. I kind of have a little bit of a long introduction to kind of set the stage. And then we're going to look at each one of these things that Jesus says. He says two major things in this passage. The first one is, you are the salt of the earth. And then he says, you are the light of the world. So we're going to kind of, in the introduction, we're going to unpack the context here and, and why that's important and kind of set the stage a little bit and then we're going to look at those two statements and then probably the most important thing that we'll do at the end is we'll turn around and apply that so what does that mean for us when Jesus says these things then how do we act on that what is it that we do to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world so it is of course not a coincidence that this comes at the end of the previous verses uh, that I just mentioned Uh, a few minutes ago those who are followers of jesus are blessed by christ uh, by god and changed into the ways that are described in those previous verses so 
we are not by nature merciful. I'll use that one as an example. If you are not changed by God, we are not by our human nature merciful. But if you are changed, then he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. Are we pure in heart by our nature? No, we're not. But those who are changed by Christ are uh, pure in heart, and they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Look at the world. <laughs> That's all you have to say. Just look at the world. Is are, are the world just full of a bunch of natural peacemakers? That's not the way that it is, right? There's, there's wars, there's rumors of wars, there, and there always will be because of human nature. So we are changed in ways that then those things become uh, true about us to, to an extent. And those who are followers of Jesus, then he, he addresses this, this uh, three verses here, four verses, to us. And he says, you are the, ye are the salt of the earth, and ye are the light of the world. Now, Christ said this to a small group of disciples, seemingly insignificant, you know, in one little place in the world at that time. They, they met, kind of pulled over to the side, and they met. And he said this to this little group of disciples. You are something that changes the world. That's a pretty amazing statement. It may not shock us the way that it should, but to this little group, he said, you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So to Providence Church, he says the same thing today. As small and as seemingly insignificant as this group might seem this morning, how many people are there in the world now? I used to be a social studies teacher, so I kept up with it. I forgot, about 7 billion probably now, is that right? I think they're saying 7. Back when I was a social studies teacher, it was 5 billion, so we're headed in the wrong direction, it looks like, but... Um, that, that's uh, 7 billion people is a lot of people. Um, and then we have here this morning, I don't know, it's not a lot. And, and so in the, in the scope of the whole world, pretty insignificant. Even if you were to say all of the Bible-believing Christians in the world, even that could probably seem a little insignificant when you, when you look at the whole world itself, 7 billion people strong. So he says this to this little insignificant group, of disciples, and he's saying it to us today that you are something that is going to impact the world for good. That is an amazing thing. So that begs the question then how do we perceive our impact on the culture and the world around us? So we might look around at our families and our workplaces and our churches and our communities, and we might think, man, how little impact we are having. And, and although we're trying and, and we might feel a little bit discouraged when we begin to think about that and, and look at our impact as insignificant. So it should shock us then to hear these words from Jesus as, as a Christian and as a follower of Christ that you are the salt and you are light. He didn't say you might be or you can be or he, he said the Christian will be salt and light you are ye are the salt and y'all if i say you i'm sorry i'm not misquoting the scriptures you and ye are the same thing so you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world so one of the reasons the passage is difficult for us today is that the distinction that should exist between the church and the world has diminished to a great extent i think this is so true in america probably even more so I don't know what Brother Jeff would agree with me on that or not, but probably even more so than it is in other parts of the world. And it's because of our 
decadence. It's because we've been blessed so much. But the, the church and the world have, have blended to the point that that distinction is not the way that it used to be. That's not a good thing. Um, so that's probably why we're shocked to hear then that we are to be salt and we are to be light in the world. And I think in some churches that's more true than others, right? I think we would all say that. And that's something that we can, um, I wouldn't say that we should take pride in it, but I do think it's something that our forefathers uh, thought about a lot and, and tried to guard against. And I'm thankful for that, that the people that I've been around most of my life uh, among Primitive Baptists have really tried to stay separate from the world. I think that's a good thing and, and thankful for that. I mean, you see some churches where whatever is the going thing, they're going to adopt it right in. I mean, they, they, don't even, they don't even really try to disguise it. They're just whatever's the going thing in the world, <clears throat> that's what they're going to bring into the church. And that's not good. So, so then when we zoom out a little bit, um, we see that, that really there's a couple of options here that we need to understand and I think you'll see pretty quickly these are not good options. Uh, I'm going to give it away before I even start. But option number one would be this. The world is out there, and therefore the problem is out there, and that means that Christians should get away from that and just retreat into themselves and, and not worry about what's going on out in the world. We shouldn't have anything to do with it. We should just get away from it. We should build a compound in the woods somewhere. You don't put a fence up and say, we're just going to be Christians and, and we're going to stay away from all the sin and all the bad things that are going out in the world out here and, and we're going to do our own thing. We're going to have a holy huddle. You know, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna separate from the world completely. That, that would be option number one. Option number two would be that the church needs to become more like the culture in order to be able to reach the culture. So we structure our services at our churches and we dress and we placate and we do all we can to do to limit the starkness of the contrast between Christianity and the world so that we can be seeker sensitive. All right? That is probably the most common nowadays, that, that option. And as I, as I told you, I think it's pretty obvious when you heard both of those, even from the way that I said them, that those are not good options, okay? They're not. The first one sounds a little better, though, right? That sounds like there may be an element of truth in it, and the reason why is there, there is an element of truth in it. So when you say you need to get away from the world and separate yourself from the world, there's an element of truth in that because we don't need to be just like the world. We don't need to go out into the world in the sense that we become like the world. That's true. But the problem there is it says you retreat from the world. You just kind of remove yourself from the world as much as possible you know, one of the funny things about that to me is, do you think if a whole bunch of Christians went to a mountain and built a compound and stayed by themselves the whole time that there would be no sin and there would be no problems and there would be no worldliness? That's wrong. <laughs> you know, it, it would still be there. You can't, you can't escape it. So it's kind of like a false, a false concept even to start with. So I hope you don't believe one of those two because the passage that we are considering today is the true answer to this question of how we're to interact and how we're to impact the world around us and it is literally the words of the creator of the world and the, the king of the universe it is his words about how we're to interact and live in the world that he created now that that's pretty important stuff right 
when Jesus speaks up and says, this is how my people should interact with the world, that's something we should pay attention to, I think. So it, it takes on a, a very high importance with us. And, and being honest, I, I, I said the, the positive, so now I'll say the negative. I think primitive Baptists in a lot of ways have been good in, in areas of this, but I think we have also lacked um, in some ways in a proper teaching of this in some ways too in the sense of this um, concept of how we impact the culture around us and how we go out with the gospel and how we do that sometimes without even preaching or without handing out tracts, that it's our lives in the community that really speak about who Jesus is. So now, to teach this lesson to his disciples, Jesus used two examples of things that they would immediately have understood. They would have known what these things were, and, and that's probably not as true for us now. So we're going to have to unpack that just a little bit. We're going to have to unpack these examples a little bit because they might not be as clear to us today as they would have been to the audience that he was speaking to then. So he said, you are salt and you are light. So I told you it's a long introduction. i got two more things in the introduction, then we're going to dive in. And, and so these two things... I think it helps us to understand the lesson fully. Number one, we must take ourselves out of this millennium and travel back to when Jesus said this, and that will help us fully understand the real, true, and full meaning of these statements. So in the first century, there were no refrigerators. All right? Bad news. Peter, James, and John didn't have a refrigerator. So their food, if they wanted to keep it, they had to find a way to preserve it. They couldn't put it in the refrigerator. They didn't have a freezer. They had to, they had to preserve it some way. And you don't even have to go back that far, right? <laughs> it's, that's a relatively new development. Um, so they didn't have that. So because of that, they had to preserve their food in, in different ways. Also, in the first century, there were not light bulbs. Believe it or not, especially young people, did you know that there hasn't always been electricity? And there's not always been that when you came in a room, you could flip on a switch and there'd be lights. It's really kind of scary to me the way that our culture is nowadays when the Internet goes down or when electricity goes down. It's like life cannot go on. It's just people just panic. And, and well, there was a time when none of that stuff existed. So in Jesus' day, when he says you're the light of the world, it had a little bit different meaning. Um, so Jesus said to this group, you're salt and you're light, and they knew exactly what that meant. Um, and, and it's different in their context. And we're going to unpack that a little more when we jump into it completely. Secondly, we must remember the biblical context. So for us to fully understand this, number one, we've got to understand that what Jesus said was to the people of that time and it had a specific meaning. And then secondly, we must remember the biblical context. If we really want to truly understand um, what it means to be salt and light in the world and have a real impact on the world, we must not separate this passage from the preceding verses it goes together these two things link together so if we don't keep them connected then what we will try to do is be salt and light in a way that is not intended by christ so then we would make up our own way to be salt and light and that's not what christ intended so it's in context on purpose and and we will instead then constantly complain about the fallen world and all the things that are going on and have little to no impact on it. So 
how are the preceding verses connected? Well, that will, like I said, that will be our application today. That'll be when we get into, so what does it mean to be salt and light? We're going to reconnect it then with the preceding verses. So long introduction through. Number one, you are the salt of the earth. So that's the first thing we're going to look at. Ye are the salt of the earth. Now salt for us, and I said I would kind of go back to this a little bit, Salt for us is something that adds flavor. So how we interact with salt mostly is the salt shaker, right? <laughs> we, at least for me, I don't know, maybe you're a lot healthier than I am, but I like salt, and, and I like to sprinkle it on my food, and it makes everything taste better. But that's not really, are we the seasoning of the world? Is that what he means? Do we add flavor to the world? No, no. Um, some pastors kind of almost preach it that way, <laughs> believe it or not. But we're not the flavor of the world. That's uh, not what he means. Um, but sadly, there are many that operate this way today. In order to fill our churches, um, some, some Christian denominations and peoples have said to the world, you can, you can have what you already have. You can keep your worldly stuff, and you just bring it in, and we're going to sprinkle some Jesus on it, and, and we're going to kind of mix all that together, and it's going to be okay. That, that's how they would look at that, and that's wrong. That's not what he means by being the salt of the world. Uh, instead of bringing them to Jesus, who will completely change their mind about all of those things and change their will and change their heart and replace it with something that's infinitely better than what they had to start with. That is the impact that we should have on the world. So we can't think of this as the salt on our tables, but rather, as we said earlier, there's no refrigeration. So what you had to do, and, and some of the young people might be saying, well, he said there's no refrigerators, but that didn't have anything to do with salt. Well, if you had a, some meat back in these days and you wanted to preserve it, you had to rub salt in it. You'd rub it with salt and dry it, and, and then that would preserve it, and the shelf life of that meat would be extended because it was rubbed with salt. So now let's, let's apply that practically a little bit. So where you find people living outside of the ways that the Creator has said we should live, what do you normally find? If we go out into the world and you see people who are living in sin and they're living in, I think one of the really like mental images that popped up to me was, have you ever seen a meth addict? Have you ever seen somebody who gets addicted to methamphetamines? It's amazing. I mean, within a two, three-year period, a 20-year-old lady will look like a 60-year-old lady. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Their teeth fall out. Their skin gets brittle. Their hair falls out. They just begin to decay and rot, really, from the inside out. It's, it's a horrible thing. Well, that's what sin does. And so in the world, there is ruin. Remember our sermon from the other day? There's ruin. There's decay. There's rot. There is sin that is causing decay uh, especially in a moral way in the world. And so when we look at this practically, what, what the message here was from Christ is salt is something that can be rubbed in to prevent and delay and, and keep that decay from taking place. So living by our will and according to this world instead of God's leads to ruin and decay. So then when Christ says to the Christian that you are the salt and I'm rubbing you into the culture to restrain the sin and the decay and the ruin and the rot, this, this also shows us that 
um, when the world is, is true to its, its nature, it will rot and decay and ruin and there will be, and it will be going downhill morally. But then as a Christian, our conduct and our speech and our attitudes, all of those things, as we live in the midst of these groups that we're in, whatever it might be, should impact those by the same way that it would if you rub salt into a piece of meat. So your workplace, your school, your friend group, your classroom, your college classroom, your family, all of those are groups that you're a part of. And if you're a Christian, you should be a positive influence on those groups, whatever it might be. So for a church, we could zoom out a little bit and say the community that we're in, other churches, other Christians, the world around us, all of those things, we should have a preserving effect on those groups. We should be living in such a way that it has a preserving effect on the groups of which we're a part and we're around, literally to keep them from rotting and ruining. Um, another, another use of salt, and this one's pretty harsh, um, another use of salt in the ancient world was to ruin the land of enemies. So when a, a nation would come in and they would conquer someone, if they really wanted to keep them down, what they would do is they would go out in their fields and sow salt. And so what that would do, that would make the ground pretty much just infertile. Couldn't grow anything. Just ruined the land. So they couldn't grow food. It's a really mean way to, to operate. So generals would salt the field of the people they conquered to make the land infernal. So if we act as salt in the world, sin should have a more difficult time growing. If we're impacting the culture that we're in, that culture should... Um, be, be in a way where sin is not just rampant and growing out of control. Now that, that I'm just going to pause for a second there, that is a scary thought when we look at the way our culture is raging today. Is the church having the impact that it should in the sense that we're salt and light? doesn't seem to be that we're probably where we should be uh, in that respect. Colossians 4, let's turn there, Colossians 4. Verse 6, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. So let your speech be seasoned with salt. Well, one of the ways we can kind of unpack that is to go to Ephesians 4, 29. Kind of those two books go closely together, and a lot of times if you have... If you're wondering about what one means, you can go to the other and, and get a kind of a different way to say it. So in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, it says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. You see the connection between corruption and let your speech be seasoned with salt? We just said, what, what, what was the problem with the meat? If you don't salt it, it's going to corrupt. It's going to rot. It's going to ruin but then if you salt it, then it takes that away. So let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Instead, let it be seasoned with salt. Let it be preserving. Let it be something that builds up. I mean, I'm, I'll be the first one. I'm, I'm stepping on my own toes, so I hope everybody knows that. I'm not talking about anybody else in this room. I think if, if I could just do that, just everything that comes out of my mouth be building up instead of tearing down, that would be a huge impact. I mean, huge impact and I think if we're all honest we would all say that as well that 
uh, just our speech. That's just one aspect. There's a lot of other things. But just in our speech, if everything that we said was good for the use of edifying, that it might minister grace unto the hearers instead of tearing down, it would be a different world. Uh, we'd, we'd see a different culture probably around us. So we see that connection there. Um, and so when you're around the water cooler at work, I don't know if anybody's work has a water cooler. Does anybody do that anymore? We don't even have water fountains. COVID killed all that, right? So there is no water fountain, so you can't talk around the water cooler. But if you're in the break room, there we go. That's more modern. If you're in the break room, if you're sitting around in, in the teacher's lounge, if you're in the hospital, cafeteria, whatever it might be at your work, uh, if you're a, a teenager and you're riding in the car with your friends or you're sitting around a lunch table at school or wherever that might be, and somebody starts to talk negatively, they start to run somebody else down. Now, there's, the, there's, there's where it hits the rubber meets the road. Are you going to be salt? Are you going to season that whole situation with um, preserving power? Or are you going to fall right into it and begin to just join right in with them and, and make it worse? Uh, so if you speak up and you say, you know, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not going to talk about other people or whatever the case might be. I'm not going to talk like that. Then probably that's going to impact that situation. It would probably impact the situation. And if not, then you've still done your job. You've been the salt that then uh, points that out. So uh, that's the warning um, of this passage that we're going to get to now. So we go back to our text because with each one of these, there's also a warning that's involved. So in Matthew chapter 5, go back to verse 13. You're the salt of the earth. Now here comes the warning. But... If the salt has lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and be trodden under the foot of men. So the warning of the passage is, is that if the salt has lost its saltiness or its preserving power, then it's really good for nothing but to just be cast out on a walking path and walked on like it's no better than sand. If you rub sand in meat, is it still going to rot? Yeah, it's not, it's not any good anymore. That's not going to work, but salt would. So if it's, if it's lost its saltiness, then it's not good for anything anymore except just to be trod on. So if we blend in with the world around us, then we lose that difference that we make. We lose that uh, worthiness that we have because we're salt. Then uh, he says it's, it's good for nothing but to be cast out. You will lose your, your preserving influence and, and therefore lose your ability to impact those around you that's that's pretty serious now we're gonna we're gonna come back to that later on so then secondly our second point he says also ye are the light of the world ye are the light of the world remember no electricity when he said this to people light was a, a pretty amazing thing to them to us second nature uh, if you walk around in a city nowadays at nighttime what is that like well, it's light. <laughs> Street lights, they have lights on the side of buildings. The inside of the buildings are lit up. There's, there's hardly any darkness anywhere. So that would have been something that was really important to them. So in the ancient world, on a night with clouds that would block out the stars or the moon, it would be utterly dark. So in the darkness, you know, it's very easy to get lost and lose all sense of direction. I think that's one of the important kind of 
connections here. Proverbs 4, let's turn there. Proverbs 4, verses 18 and 19. But the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more into the perfect day. The way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. So the mental picture here is, imagine being out in the middle of the woods. There's no moon. It's cloudy. Stars are blocked out. There's no light. You don't have a flashlight. You don't have a torch. You don't have anything like that. It's pretty scary, right? So you'd probably be walking around, feeling your way around, stumbling over everything on the ground that you don't know is there because you can't see it. That's, a, that's not a good way to, to travel, right? It's going to take a lot of time, and you're going to hurt yourself probably. You're going to run into things. Um, you're stumbling around. The word there is stumble. They know not what they stumble. So it's also, to, it's also hard in that situation to determine what's around you. You can't determine the true nature of what is around you. You're, you're kind of feeling around, but you, you can't really see it. So the idea there would be, and this is, this is pretty scary. <laughs> Just imagine you're in those woods and now something starts moving. You ever been there? You ever been on a camping trip and you're sitting in the tent and it's completely dark and you can't see and then something starts moving in the woods? What's your first thought? What is that? <laughs> is, is that something I need to be worried about? Or is that a raccoon? You know, there's a big difference between a raccoon moving around your tent and a brown bear moving around your tent. So you're going to want to know what it is. But if it's darkness, you're not going to know. You're just going to hear it. Hopefully you won't feel it, you know. But, but you're not going to know the true nature of what it is. You just hear it. It takes light. So what you would do is you'd get your flashlight out, and you'd start shining it, and I, I would. I'd start shining it. What's going on? What is this? Something I need to be worried about or not? I need some light. We are the light of the world. We point that out. We, we show it. We, we reveal it by the way that we live our lives to the world. They're stumbling around in the darkness, and we are the light then of the world, shining to show the right way uh, that leads to Christ. We are just really what we are is mirrors. Isn't that interesting? We're really just mirrors because all we're doing really is reflecting the light of Christ. It's not our light. It's not our way. Uh, it's not light that, that is in us. We were in the darkness. You remember? Doesn't the Scripture say that? It says that you were in darkness like, like everybody else. You've been brought into the light. Well, we're the mirrors that then reflect the light of Christ to those that are around us. Our words, our attitudes, our conduct, all of those things that we said when we were talking about the salt, all of those things should reflect the light of Christ to those who are around us. And in this one, Jesus uses two examples to make this point. So back in our text there in Matthew chapter 5, he uses these two examples. He says, you're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. So that's the first one. A city on a hill cannot be hid. So a person that's lost in the dark, let's go back to our hypothetical person here who's stumbling around in the dark in the woods, and then all of a sudden they're feeling their way through. Have you ever been somewhere and you can see a light way off in the distance? Isn't that a good feeling <laughs> when you say, okay, there's something over there. I'm going to start heading that direction. It gives you direction. It, you begin to say, okay, now I've got a goal. It's, you know, the old phrase, the light at the end of the tunnel, right? 
there's a light at the end of the tunnel. So if you're in these woods and then all of a sudden you get to a certain point and there's this city that's on a hill uh, up over here on, on the side and you can see it because it's, it's lighted city on a hill. That's the imagery then of this example. A city on a hill cannot be hid. It's something that would show its light to all the area around it. And that should be the way that we impact the world and the culture around us. Now, he also says, then, secondly, uh, not just a city on the hill, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So he uses this second example of a lamp or a candle. Men don't put candles under a bushel. Instead, they put it on a candlestick. That's always been funny to me. I don't know why. Just kind of, I guess, my sense of humor. But how ridiculous would it be to turn on a flashlight and then cover it up where that it's not? Why would you, why would you even turn it on? Same thing here. Why would you light a candle and then put it under a basket so that there's no light shining out? This is actually a, a spiritual application that I've made of this many, many times. That's why I believe what I believe about salvation. God wouldn't light the candle of salvation in us and then not let it show. I just don't believe that. If, if men are not that dumb to do things that way, why would God do things that way? Why would he regenerate you and give you spiritual life and light and it never shine forth, it never come forth? That, that doesn't make any sense. And that's, that's what Jesus says here. Look, that doesn't make any sense. He said men don't do this. They don't light a candle and put it under a bushel. They put it on a candlestick. Not only do they not cover it, they elevate it. See, there's two examples here. Both of them deal with elevation. It's elevated. So if you want a light to shine to the most area that it can in this room, you're going to put it up high. We don't put our lights on the floor. You ever notice that? We put the lights on the ceiling so that the light shines to the whole room. So it's, they're both elevated. The city on the hill and the candlestick that elevates the candle so that it shines the light to all that is around it. So neither do men put... Uh, men light a candle and put it under a bushel but on a candlestick and it giveth light to all that are in the house if the christian doesn't shine light but instead is hidden under a bushel how dark the culture and the world would be think about that it would just get dark it's just dark and dark and dark but when the christian is being what they should and they're not hidden under a bushel so this really ties with that option that i told you about where you know should we just withdraw should we just have our light and keep it and, and not, not share it. Not, we need to get away from the world. We just need to completely withdraw from the world and do our own thing. That would be taking a candle and putting it under a bushel. That's not what Jesus says. He says, no, men don't do that. They, they put it on a candlestick so that it shines to all uh, that are in the house. So we've seen these examples. We've seen the word pictures here that Jesus uses. And so we look around today. Where are we? As Christians, not just this church, I would, I would zoom it out and say, as Christians in America today, where are we in impacting our culture? Is the church having an impact in the public square? Is the church having an impact in the school systems? Is the church having an impact in politics? I'm going to get political this morning. I, I really want to get in trouble. <laughs> but, but it's the truth. You know, some people say, oh, those things shouldn't mix. You should never talk about politics out of the pulpit. That's hogwash. We should be impacting the culture. 
We should be impacting those. It's important what our leaders decide and, and how our society goes and the laws that our countries make and all those things. We're to pray for those people. We're to be interested in those things, and we should be having an impact. According to Christ, we should be having an impact on those things. Even that's not off limits. So where are we today? I think then if you really look at that, the answer is not really a good answer. But in verse 16, he says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So we want to make the application. How do we do that? Then how do we be salt and how do we be light in the world? What is the connection then to those preceding verses? Well, the the biggest connection, so application number one. So we had our two points. Now this is application number one. So what is the connection to the preceding verses? That's application number one. We're going to connect this to the to the preceding verses you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world insofar as those realities of the beatitudes are being exhibited in your life when you are exhibiting those qualities it will impact those around you when you're poor in spirit when you're mournful (coughs) when you're meek when you're hungering for righteousness merciful pure in heart peacemakers peaceful in persecution all of those things, when, when that's what you exhibit, you are light and salt in the world. When our responses to the circumstances around us are spirit-empowered responses, we will be salt and light. And notice I said spirit-empowered responses. I'm not saying this is something you do of your own strength and your own power and all that because you're incapable of that apart from the Spirit of God. Remember, this is a supernatural work that is done in you to transform you from the power of darkness to the light and so in that uh, we must then exhibit those things for us to be salt and light in the world so that's the the biggest part of the connection between those two things secondly we are not allowed to abdicate this responsibility or pass it off to others we must be salt and light if we expect others to do this the world will be in a bad place If we expect the government or the schools or any other entity to be salt and light to the world, we're going to be disappointed. (laughs) It's not going to happen. And that's why I said, even in politics, even in our governance, in all of those things, we should be impacting. We should be having an impact in those areas because we're not allowed to abdicate this. Jesus didn't, didn't, like I said before, Jesus didn't say, well, you can be, or he says, you are the salt and the light. You are these things in the world. You must be salt and light. Salt, salt is more negative and light is more positive. We can look at it that way as well. We didn't really make that distinction, but you can. Salt makes it hard uh, to do bad things. Light points out the right way to do things would be a very simplistic way to look at it. Uh, some people are naturally inclined to be more confrontational, while others are more naturally inclined to be gentle and and maybe the light in the corner that's showing the way to the door. <laughs> uh, the reason I'm laughing is I know where I fall on that, <laughs> on that spectrum there. But we must remember that Christians possess a supernatural quality that can rise above the natural inclination. So in other words, you don't get to make an excuse. Now, I don't know if y'all have met anybody that's into this whole, I can't even say it right, Enneagram, is that right? What is it? What is it? Somebody say it. Enneagram? Okay. So, and you're saying, how in the world does this tie in? 
Okay, well, have you ever heard people say, well, I'm a four, so that just means naturally I'm this kind of a person. I'm just a negative person. Or, oh, I'm a six, so that means I'm a person who likes to be in charge, and so therefore you can't really get mad at me when I take over and do everything and tell you what to do because I'm just a six. It's just what I am. Did you know that Christians can't use that as an excuse? You can't just say, that's my personality. That's just the way God made me. Well, you know, I'm really fall more on the light side than the salt side. Wrong. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You don't get to pick and choose. You don't get to do it just your way because of your personality or, well, that's just the way I am. It's not an excuse. We must be salt and light. So, the, the, but the good news there is that Christ has equipped you for that because he changed you. He gave you a new nature. He gave you a new heart. The Spirit empowers us. So that's a supernatural work that is done in you that equips you to be both salt and light in the world. And if you try to do it any other way from that, it will, it will not work. It will not, it will not come to fruition. So we must be salt and light. Number three, this really is the true heart of evangelism. And I'm going to unpack that for a minute. There's a lot more to evangelism than just this. There's a lot more. But I really think this is the heart of evangelism. So inviting people to church is good. That's a good thing. That's, that's, that's being evangelistic. Sharing the gospel with others is very good. Um, that's a good thing. But the, really the heart of evangelism is a person that is so deeply happy in Christ and deeply uh, convinced of the gospel and deeply believing in Christ and living for Christ that it overflows to the world around them. That's the heart of evangelism. That's what it really is. And that's what it means to be salt and light. That when we live in the world, the overflow of our joy in Christ then spreads to those around us. That is really the heart of evangelism. Really, we can go down to the end of this passage. He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works that is overflowing in your life and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So where does the glory go? It doesn't go to us. You know, it's not, we don't do this. We're, we're not salt and light so that people will say, look at that guy right there. He is doing it right. He is, he's living right. He's, man, he's such a good guy. That's not the point. The point is that God receives the glory for your good works um, that are done only through the spirit that is in you. He empowers us to do those things. It is, it is by his power that we're able to do any good works. So 1 Peter 2.12, let's turn there. 1 Peter 2, verse 12. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So our conversation, the way that we live, our manner of life, among the Gentiles, that just is, is really meaning among the world, among those who are different. Whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may not see it as good. May by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So God receives the glory ultimately in those things. So this, um, this heart of evangelism will have a major impact in our culture and in our world. And it's, it's not, like I said, it's not all that evangelism is, but I do believe it's at the heart of it. Now, fourth, 
another application of this. And this is, I think, where there has been a lot of misunderstanding. And, and we kind of, when I gave you the two options at the beginning, and I said one of them is you completely withdraw from the world, you know, and then the other option. So this is kind of getting to the heart of that. So fourth application is you must be in the world to have an impact, okay? If you're going to impact the world, if you completely withdraw from the world, you're not having an impact on those people. And this is dangerous because what do we tell young people all the time? <coughs> Flee, get away from the world. Don't have ungodly friends. Don't, you know, all of, we, we, and, and all of that is true. So let me start there. That's true, okay? You shouldn't have best friends that are leading you down bad paths that are not Christians, that are not acting like Christians. That's not a good thing. However, what I just said is also true. You must be in the world to have an impact on the world. So the phrase that I've always used, and, and not just me, but a lot of people have, is that we are in the world, but not of the world. In the world, but not of the world. So let's turn to John 17. John chapter 17, and many of you could probably quote this chapter. John 17, verses 15 through 18. Beginning in verse 15, once again, the words of Christ, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but, thou, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. There's probably no better way to state what I just said. Jesus said, I'm not praying for my disciples that you take them out of the world. I'm praying that you keep them in the world, but you keep them from the evil. You don't let the world influence them. You instead let them influence <coughs> the world that's verse 15 they are not of the world even as i am not of the world sanctify them or set them apart through thy truth thy word is truth as thou hast sent me into the world even so have i also sent them into the world so that's the concept okay it's a difficult concept i, I admitted it from the beginning so christ says I'm sending them into the world. I don't want you to take them out of the world. I'm sending them into the world, but I want them to be sanctified from the world, and I want them to be set apart from the world. And the way that that happens is, he even says that, um, that sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So we need to live in the world, but according to the word. And that's a difficult thing. Live in the world, but according to the word of God. And that will have an impact on the world around us, a big impact on the world around us. So remember, we are salt and we are light. We're salt that's rubbed into the world uh, that is ruined and rot by nature. And if we're living according to the word, we will shine as a light in the world. We will be different. So it's not that we're to avoid the world or live outside of the world. It's that we're to live in the world and be different. And that's why it's so difficult. And that's why, as a parent, it's so scary, right? Because at some point, our children go into the world. And then uh, what we are praying for is that God keeps them from those things that would be uh, um, against God's word and that they will live by the word and that there will be an impact on the world instead of being impacted by the world. Um, there's a, a song that came out a long time ago. It's talking about what true rebels really are, you know, 
a lot of teenagers, that's one of the things that teenagers kind of naturally do. They start to rebel, right? And so this guy's premise was, you know who the real rebels are? They're the ones who don't do what the world does. <laughs> that's being a real rebel. That's, going, that's really being somebody that's kind of going against the grain, right? So if you live as a Christian in the world, you're going to stand out a little bit. You're going to be salt and you're going to be light in the world because you're not going along the same ways that they are. Now, fifth, and, and this one's real quick. We'll wrap up with this one. Being in and not of the world requires an eternal perspective. So being in the world but not of the world requires an eternal perspective. So if you're going to do what Christ says here and you're going to be salt and light in the world and you're going to live for Christ in the world, it requires an eternal perspective. If you're all about the here and now, it's not, it's not going to work. We have to understand that we're strangers and pilgrims here. This is not our home. And so we are, when, when the concept of a pilgrim, that makes sense to be salt and light, right? Because you're not going along with the crew. You, you're, you're different. There's something different about you. You're in a foreign land. You, you're not, this is not home to you. There's an eternal perspective there. This is not my home. So pleasing God becomes more important than fitting in because this is not my home. Uh, I, I want to please God. I'm, I'm a, a citizen of heaven. I'm not a citizen of the world. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close it there. and I think we're going to come back to this in, in another message at another time, and maybe we'll do some more connection between this and the preceding verses but I, my prayer is that God would strengthen us all to be uh, more influential, more impactful of the culture around us, to be salt and light in a fallen world. hope those things have been a blessing to you today.